Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and we just wrapped up a teaching series. Isn't that fun? Like we didn't for so we're not necessarily we've never we haven't been se- like serious people. Um, we've we've done some over the years, but we didn't yeah. start that way. Yeah, no, it's actually yeah the past couple of years yeah. specifically is when we started doing teaching series, and but but yeah before that it was it was it was not that it was kind of a little popcorn idea of you know here and there and switch it up or yeah. Uh, verse by verse through the book of, I forget what it was, like 10 years ago. It took forever as well. It yeah, was like we, Revelation back at the well, church, we did Revelation. We then did we did Acts, it again. And we, yeah, I mean, that was, so if, if in my perfect world, that's what we would just do. Um, we just go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But the problem is, is the attention span of the uh, human race has collectively shrunk. Like, I don't know if someone has done uh, some math on this. So. Oh, it's out there. So it's if you only get 30 minutes on a Sunday and that's all you got. And, you know, because the olden days we have like Wednesday night. I mean, you don't know this, Micah, but we used to have to have like work on Wednesdays around here. You know, go an actual uh, full service, an actual full service. Yeah. And then Sunday night, you know, so you could actually knock out a, you know, a book like Leviticus in a year. <laughs> we'd, we'd be doing Leviticus until like 2030, right, you know, if we right. go that route. So all that to say, yeah, we did. We just wrapped up a series that I... um it, which has happened a few times with the series where it, we get into it and it, I, I'm excited about the series, but then we're in the middle of it. And I'm like, oh, this is actually way better than I thought. Yeah. You know, uh, it was. And not that, that, that it could be taken wrong. Like, man, I'm crushing this series. That's not what I mean at all. Like we get into the series and I realize, oh, there's so much more here than what I thought God wanted to do. Sure. It happened with the series on Joseph. Right. Uh, and it happened here. Right. Well, uh, essential church. Yeah. So this was week six, I believe, and um, we've been talking about the four devotions laid out in Acts 2.42, those things that were should be devoted to as a church, as the early church was. Uh, they were devoted to uh, these four specific things. They were um, devoted to teaching, mm-hmm. teaching the Word of God, um, fellowship, communion, or the breaking of bread, and prayer. And so these four foundational things ha- we have taught individually and, and not only just taught, but are a, an essential part of our church services yeah. and um, across all of our ministries that these things um, are, are kind of the, the outline, the template, the guideline to how we are going to do church. Yeah. You know, when you, um, especially in the American environment, uh, not so much like in India, I might add, um, but like in America, if we plant a church, you start filling out. Um, it's like if you're a gas station, you got to have somebody run the cash register, or someone that can stock the shelves. Like you kind of know who you need for your spots, right? On it, and so you start filling them out. In America, we have kids, and you know, God bless you, mamas. On Sundays, you're done with them. So you know, we get a chance to love on your kids, and uh, we, you guys like going to the bathroom inside. Don't blame you, but someone has to clean those toilets, and you, so you know, you start filling out the roles um, based upon our culture and there's literally nothing wrong with that um but we we got the worship guy we got to have a youth and children and um but 
the early church didn't start with any of that. Now, did it grow up around it? I don't, I don't, I guess they probably didn't have youth pastors in Rome, the church at Rome, but, um, but they didn't start with that. And they, but they kept their eyes on those four things. They were devoted to that. And that was when we started this thing 11 years ago, I really felt like that was what the Lord, because I was feeling super overwhelmed. I mean, I don't I've got no business being a pastor, right? I know what I was doing. And, but I thought, if we if we just devote to those four things, then um, the rest of it takes care of itself. And so, when I look back, even over the last decade, when I have begun to feel overwhelmed, I would say almost with certainty, any one of the things that overwhelmed me had nothing to do with any of those mm. four things. Yeah, interesting. Um, it was like something. It's not a bad thing, but I had to add it on to it. Um, so for us, it was for me personally, it was a gift to say, hey, you know what? Eleven years in. These things still matter. Yeah. And it was good to revisit, to double down, to even adjust, you know, our own on it, uh, where well, we need to adjust. One of the reasons that they still matter is because we learned over the past year um, how much they actually do matter. Yeah. After kind of how we've seen um, our culture respond to how essential or non-essential the church is. Yeah. The reason we doubled down on this is because we all discovered how truly essential it is to gather and to stay focused on these four things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to take it a step further, so, so this last year, we just we were forced to remember uh, how important this stuff was. We felt it. And, you know, look, by now, people are already forgetting it, unless you're in Canada or Sydney, Australia. Okay. They're not forgetting it because they've still got totalitarian nut jobs running their countries that are locking them down but we uh were reminded of the importance of it but the other thing that's uh in my mind that i'm realizing why this stuff is so critical is that like if you start with verse 44 right they were caring for each other giving to the poor selling their stuff and that's what you're devoted to that's social that's literally where social justice is born out of without the gospel and then that is you know uh, I believe it, and look, I'm going to quote Bill Maher, so send your email to him. But you know, he, communism and then socialism is uh, is uh, communism's gay cousin uh, was Bill Maher's quote. But because it's like you just kind of go down this this liberal uh, hole, and uh, and yeah, actually, email it to Mo at Conduit Church. Sure, bring it but up. but that's when you look at guys with, with, with critical theory, they actually will point to this stuff in Scripture and say, well, they, "We need to be devoted to these people," and 100 percent we do. But if you start with the word of God, right, devoted to the apostles' teaching, you're devoted to communion, so you're devoted to the gospel, devoted to, you know, then you know that, uh, hey, there is a problem in the world. It's called sin, and that's what Jesus came for. So I'm not here trying to tear down the patriarch. I'm here bowing before my own, you know, Jesus, because I need the Savior that you need. So if we start with the devotion to that, these other things, we're, we're motivated to them, but it also keeps us in check while we're doing it um, because we, we desperately, the world, you can get, you know, James calls it weary and well-doing, but you can create something that then becomes this pet doctrine and you become, it, like, it warps you, you know? Yeah. And, and I have kind of a theory around some of this. Oh, I love this. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a timeline theory of yeah. the church and it's painted with very broad strokes. So, well, would you paint for us? Well, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, I think it's safe to say that the church at large was focused on evangelism. Um, 
that's where Billy Graham was birthed out of and so many of his cohorts and, um, you know, those that were traveling doing tent revivals and the, in big communities and large turnouts, evangelism was the, was the model, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And you know, it was, um, turn or burn, you know, all of these phrases that kind of came out yeah. of the forties, fifties and sixties where the end game was accepting Christ. Verse 47. Yes. Huh. Now, while that is good, it also has some deficiencies in it, too, because yeah. what came out of that was kind of a lack of discipleship. Uh-huh. It was all evangelism and not a lot of follow-up. Yeah, There was no really systems or structures put in place for that. Um, and so you kind of entered into the 70s, 80s, and 90s, if you remember, um, where I think it went from evangelism church to consumerism church. Very comfortable. Seeker-sensitive. Seeker-sensitive. Um, and... That permeated, I mean, I, I started to grow up in that environment a little bit too, where every church kind of had a coffee house, you know, I mean, that was new. The idea of coffee into the church. Yeah. But <laughs> let's, can we just praise him in the sanctuary? Was because, that a good idea? Yeah. Because <laughs> we had coffee at the Nazarene church, but it was in a percolator in the fellowship hall right. and only like on like sunrise services, but there wasn't nobody standing out there handing out coffee on a Sunday. Yeah. But just this idea of consumerism. Yeah. Uh, seeker sensitive, um, you know, the, the church was guilty of kind of being called like a club or, um, you know, these, this, this fancy idea of how church could be run. Yeah. And, and then you kind of turned a corner into the, the two thousands, the tens and now the twenties. And it kind of went from evangelism to consumerism to what feels like activism. Mm, Yep. Where this, what you just kind of talked about, the social justice side of things. Yeah. So it's like this big pendulum swing to like each of these devotions. Yeah. And what we're saying is, can we, can, is it possible to stay devoted to all four and, and take on this concept of essentialism for the church where you keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I would, uh, cause, and I think that's what you meant to say, but. Like the devotions of those four things, evangelism isn't one of the things they were devoted to. They were devoted to prayer, to teaching, to the you know uh, breaking of bread and fellowship. Mm-hmm. And if, but evangelism was a result of that. Um, feeding the poor was a result of that. They were. But if we stay, if those four things stay strong in us, it helps to keep us on task. I remember someone when we very first started this I was having a conversation with a guy that was part of our church family. And telling him, this is what I want, man. I just want this. I just want to do this. Just keep it simple. And he's like, yeah, but you know, the, but the church didn't stay that way. And, and for a minute, I was like, well, he's really good. He's got a good point. It didn't stay that way. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but have you read 1 Corinthians? Like, maybe they should have stayed that way. Right. Like, maybe that's where the problem came in, that they uh, began to be devoted. Because you read about the church at Corinth. They were super generous, right? In 2 Corinthians 9, these guys were just dumping money into helping the poor. Right. While simultaneously they're at uh, communion, uh, getting hammered and eating all right. of the food before the poor people got there. So th- they were already, you know, within just 30 years of Jesus's ascension, there was already weirdos in the church. But and I, I guess that's what I the, these are these four guardrails that are the four legs of these tables. And honestly, if you can, if we can, if we don't succeed at anything else. If we could succeed at those four things and just keep coming back to them, we are going to want to feed 
the poor. Like, we're going to want to. Right, the and least I, of these. Yeah, and I sure as heck don't want Fidel Castro uh, coming in and telling us now that there's a government program and a totalitarian regime. That's not at all what the Holy Spirit had in mind. And for, and when we say church, of course, we say we say the church. We, we are specifically speaking of um, the Western church, American church. Um, and and what, what's... I don't know, startles me, alarms me. It's got my attention. How about that? You know, Shannon and I were in Europe um, pre-corona, so almost two, oh, wow, almost two years ago. I don't know if anybody else is not counting 2020, but I'm not counting 2020. <laughs> Whenever someone says it was three years ago, like, how is that even possible? Because right. we lost a whole year. Yeah. But you, we, you, know, you pay money to go into churches now to see them, uh, these giant buildings, and a, a few of them, you're walking in there and they're like, oh, there's some people sitting down. Oh, we're in their Wednesday night service. You know, like four people, some dude with robes and a lot of smells and bells. Um, but the Holy Spirit left the building a long time ago. And I, uh, you, you can read the history of the Reformation, you know, of, of, of Luther and the things that happened with Wesley. And that all started in Europe. And at some point, they got their eye off of the ball and that's the future of Western church. Because I'll tell you this, the church in China, they're in no danger of this, okay? Like, when, I, when people start talking about how oh, the church is in trouble, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, the church in China? Because they're blowing up. The church in Africa? Exploding. Uh, and every one of them, you can, at least the ones I know of, they, they keep it real simple. There is no fog machine. There is no band. Yeah. When I say India, like... Uh, a friend of ours over there is like creating worship music in India, but uh, the vast majority of the hundreds of thousands of churches over there have no worship at all when they come on a Sunday. Um, do, you, do you remember Kirby Trampolino? No. Oh, man. So Kirby, uh, claim to fame for Kirby was he was the guy that brought Cademan's call to market. Oh, wow. He started a little distribution company, and I can't even remember what it was called. Out of Houston, great guy. And, of course, you know, the college rock of the 90s gave way to Brittany and Justin, and, and they lost her. Kirby disappeared. I didn't know where he was, and I found that he'd been in Hyderabad, and he started a worship school. Interesting. And what he does is if uh, young people come in, and they train them to be worship leaders, and then they send them out into the villages to lead worship in these churches. Wow. Um, point is, though, that's, but they don't have that. That's like, it, it's great, and it's a huge blessing for them. But the kingdom of God has advanced just fine without Hillsong United uh, in there. So good thing. We have great worship here on Sunday. We're not going to stop that. Entire denominations, by the way, because the other danger you get if you say, well, it's not in the New Testament, so we can't. I mean, that's literally the Church of Christ non-instrumental built their entire doctrine because there's no worship in X, uh, the book of Acts. There's no right. instruments. Right. So, you know, again, you can warp your entire, you know. Yeah. But for us, if we uh, say to that, hey, that's important, but we're just not going to make it of preeminence importance. So we're going to make prayer of importance. We're going to, it's that, I guess that's what I'm saying. I want that to be for us. I, I, do, I want to aspire to it. I want us to accomplish it because as long as we're doing that, it's going to keep us on task. Uh, it's going to keep us in between, you know, in the middle yeah. and, uh, and keep us out of the, of the, of the crazy ditches. Uh, Cause there's plenty of them out there when you get weary and well-doing, uh, I, I bet my left arm that most pastors that are burned out right now, probably most of them, they didn't mean to get burned out. And I'll bet if they were to look at their lives and look at their churches, that maybe that could have been a place where they could have saved, you know, got their macros in order. Right. So, you know, I want us in, uh, you know, 10 years, Michael, have, uh, you'll be grandpa Mo in 10 years. 
I would think so. Right? I mean, you know, Lauren's basically one missed pill away from you being a grandpa right now. So that's weird. That's a weird thought. But uh, in 10 years, I want us to still be, if we're all here still, that, you know, we're, you know, we're still holding to the, to the gospel. We're still holding to it. And I think if we keep devoted to those things, you know, I said at the very first Sunday, if we do what's essential, you become essential. And that's what this is. And it's what you talked about on Sunday. You finally, we finally got to verse 47 after all uh, of these weeks. And I, intentionally didn't focus on that every week i was focusing on the uh 43 4 5 and 6 and i was sort of tag 47 yeah um but you hit 47 the sunday because that's we were kind of saving that for last with the, the, the lord was yeah. adding to their numbers those who were being saved yeah and those that were being saved i mean obviously that word saved is um refers to a rescue i mean literally that's what that word means a rescue which is such a cool picture uh, if you think about the gospel story um, being a rescue, like that's just a that's just a beautiful picture. Just to know that we were were snatched out of danger, um, that our souls uh, have redemption, that there's that there's hope for everlasting life through the sacrifice of His Son and the in the sacrifice that was made. That this great rescue took place, and that we can be a part of that. And but it's more than just. What, kind of what we talked about Sunday, it's more than just this divine spiritual rescue. There's an, there's an actual rescue that's happening and that maybe we've experienced even over this past year of actual physical people um, that needed rescuing, that we were, we were compelled to do something for the least of these um, that offered up a rescue. And that could be those of our friends in Uganda, for an example, you know, who literally have... N- no ability to get food over during these lockdowns. It happened in Haiti during this past year where they had no ability to get food. Um, and these are, these are lives that are on the line. Like if, if you don't eat, you don't live. Um, and because of the generosity, like it says in verse 46, Acts 2.46, when they gathered together, they were, uh, there was, they were generous. There was generosity happening in, through their fellowship. And so because of that, literal lives have been saved. And even further, when we've talked about what's happening in India and the freeing of slaves um, from the brick kilns, how the least of these are served when we're gathered together, that there's a rescue happening. Um, and so that, that verse, that verse 47, it's, it's, there's just more to it there. And it even doesn't have to be this incredible effort that took place globally of rescuing lives from these certain things. It's even happening right here at home. When we give uh, an hour of normal to our children over the past year to come together, to not have to wear a mask, um, to just be regular kids. In the middle of a world where... uh, So I actually really... You've done this a few times in the last couple of years when you've got up to say something. I'm like, Dad Gum, that's actually really interesting. That's really insightful. Um... Because the word saved, it, it, it does mean, so it's the, it's, it's the word sozo? Sozo is the root. Right. So it's like it means saved, like because uh, I am like spiritually saved from something. But, and I've heard this over the years, like the word sozo isn't just about eternity, it's about right now. Mm-hmm. And I had never, what you really connected the dot on was that it isn't just an ethereal spiritual thing. It's literally those Folks, in fact, when you read verses 45, 6, 7, them being saved spiritually did mean being saved physically. In the same way, there was no safety net. Orphans and widows, there was no 
food for them. There was no program for them. Um, it's why literally just a couple chapters later, the actual first conflict in church was not about the color of the hymnals. It was not about whether the worship was too loud. The conflict was, hey, we need to make sure that we're distributing the food equally. And the reason they had to make sure they were doing that was because they were distributing food to help people who were being saved. And you're, what was really jumped out at me was in our world here, this past 18 months, um, having a spot where people, children included, can come and have something normal. Uh, when, when they shut down the schools uh, in the community, um, everybody was staying home and we immediately sensed this is not good. Uh, so we actually opened up the back of our church. We ran it like a speakeasy for, for school. Like we were letting, hey, if you're a kid and you're stuck at home right now. The online school, computer online school, classes. Yeah. yeah. Like public school kids are sitting at home by themselves. Moms, you know, trying to figure out how to. Wi-Fi and all yeah. that. We've got Wi-Fi here. Yeah. Come over here, man. We'll like, we'll feed you. We'll, uh, we were dropping Chick-fil-A all over them and, you know, just trying to spoil Praise them at a the place. Lord. But, you know, here, like just this last month uh, to two weeks ago, headline from a New York Times article, eight-year-olds in despair, the mental health crisis is getting younger. Eight-year-olds. Incredible. The, the number of children who need urgent mental health care has been on the rise for years, quote, and then spiked during the pandemic. And of course it has. So honestly, my heart breaks for any child that's been locked up in their home uh, because some healthcare quote unquote expert decided that we have to save them and we're cr literally crushing their souls with it. So allowing, and that is, it's like, it's not, they just need to suck it up. And I get so, and I, I understand when I hear parents say, oh, they're going to be okay. They're going to be like, I, and at the same time thinking, man, that's, that feels like you, you know, trying to talk yourself into something. And clearly the numbers are, are pointing out now that that is 100% not true that these kids have not been okay but the jesus kids whose churches were out there doing this and i i mean look it, uh, charlie weir up the street at gateway was doing it there are churches all over this community this is not just something that conduit did but th this season taught us that being an essential church meant that we have an opportunity to actually be essential in the community and if the only thing we're doing, we've said it, if the only thing we're doing is giving a great sermon and great worship, uh, maybe that isn't essential. Uh, I listen to podcasts all the time. Um, so if you can get that at home, but that's, there's so much more to what an essential church is doing. And when you see verse 47, they were being saved. Imagine how terrifying it was, this a few hundred, a few thousand people by this point who were being persecuted. The, the, the heavy persecution had not set in, but the fact of the matter is there was persecution. They just killed Jesus right. for crying out loud. So there was persecution absolutely um, happening. And so they were cut off from their family. If you were a Jewish believer and you uh, professed Christ, uh, you were cut off immediately. So you're alone, you got nothing, but the church came together uh, and saved each other in that regard, not spiritually, but physically. And... Uh, Which is why I think the story of Peter himself is so yeah. interesting. I mean, he knew he was about to be persecuted. He betrayed Christ three times because he didn't want to get killed. Yeah. Yeah. But for then the Lord to flip the whole script on that and then use him yeah. to build his church on, it's a pretty incredible yeah. story. What's important to think about in these things is that a guy like Peter um, 
it's it's actually amazing to me because he he technically uh, they obviously they, they crucified Jesus, but his biggest thing was actually the biggest fear was being canceled. Yeah. Um, because he was being canceled. We're not going to talk to you anymore. You can't be around us anymore. We're, you know, and uh, the one thing uh, if you follow Zuby music on the, on the Twitter, uh, he was talking about how people are more afraid of being cut off from their friends or family, or whatever, than they are even of death itself. Oh wow! And I thought, man, that has been so true this past year. Hmm. People afraid to speak even because of this. And so yeah, so to see Peter like rise up. Uh, from that, and, and I bring that up because I get so frustrated when I hear people in America uh, dismiss what we're experiencing right now as it happened with us. Like, oh, they're not persecuting you. They're not, you know, you, you know, go to Asia and you'll see what real persecution is. Well, by the way, I have gone, and right. I, so I understand that. But it didn't start that way there. Right. In the same way that it didn't start that way in the book of Acts. Like it started, they were, they were being persecuted. They were being marginalized. It's about 20 years from then. They, they're gonna be, Christians are going to start being set on fire by Nero. Like right. it didn't start with being set on fire. It started with being marginalized. started with being categorized yeah. in a different category, in an identity, and putting you in this little identity. And then once you say that that identity is just a, is a group and it's not a person, it's so much easier to start... Uh, crucifying and killing and and so what we are experiencing in our country might not be there yet but if you think about it just from this perspective and we're going to start in the book of romans in august for this very reason but you know people will say uh and i've had conversations with my progressive friends like nobody that i know is talking about like this kind of stuff like shutting down and totalitarianism nobody that i know is but they're sure okay with the churches in canada getting shut down and the fact is, is that let's say, you know, let's say only 20% of the people out there uh, are like straight up socialism, Fidel Castro, Chagall, you know, uh, they're all there. Then do you think when this all shuts down that the 80% of the peace loving people are going to win? Or is it the 20% of the nut jobs that are going to win? Cause, and I would suggest that's exactly what's going to happen. It's what's happened historically. Yeah. But, point is that's a whole other rant in a soapbox but that the church right now we have an opportunity to speak truth to know that we're still going to probably get canceled and to know it's getting way worse before it gets better and we need each other now more than ever like if you're a jesus person and you do not have a faith community uh that is tight right now you know in the next 10 years uh, I would not want to be uh, a Christian out there saying, well, I can do Jesus at home. I can do, you know, if, if you are going to follow Jesus, because there are consequences right now and they're only going to get more intense. So having a group of people that are together to be safe together yeah. uh, is critical for us. And why I also think it's a good reminder for us to uh, be reminded that this world is not our home, that our country our citizenship yeah. is elsewhere. Which, and you used a great uh, picture, a metaphor on Sunday of of an embassy. Have you been to an American embassy? Oh, I have been to an embassy. Tell, tell me about it. If, if there's a feeling. <laughs> here, I'll tell you this. Anybody that's traveled globally, you know something. When, you, when your plane lands in the United States, there's a feeling that you can't articulate hmm. of being home. Now, JFK is not my home. But I feel, I don't know, it's, especially if you go to dangerous places. There's two times you feel that. One is when wheels are up, 
like the the minute the wheels go up on a plane in a country, you're like, oh, you, I, you can you literally exhale, right? But when it lands, um, you it's like the weight is gone. But that said, the only other place you'll get that feeling, and it is the weirdest thing, is in an embassy in another country. Mm. When you are a, a citizen, and I don't know if this is global or not. I don't know like if an Indian citizen comes to the Indian embassy here and feels that. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I know I feel it. When you, the, the, you, you get to the U.S. embassy. I, can, I conceptually know that that is still Ugandan territory. But it's not. In this little part of it, it's the U.S. And they are not allowed to go in there. So if you get to the U.S. Embassy as a U.S. citizen in that moment, and it's not just that you're around other Americans. It's that you are in this um, little America in the right. middle of it all. So it was a perfect metaphor for for a guy that's traveled. It was perfect. Yeah, because we, <laughs> we, we're in foreign territory here in uh on earth it's just this is this is just not our home and i think when we keep that perspective and we realize that there's a bigger picture at play uh we won't get as offended by the world acting uh like like crazy you know because it's just like okay they're they're hostages and you've you've talked about this too it's like yeah. the people here are hostages and this is part of the rescue mission that we're all on is to rescue the hostages by sharing the gospel and allowing them to know the truth of God's love for them, which then, when that happens, there's a great transfer that happens. Uh, it talks about in Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And it's like the perfect verse yeah. to remind us of the rescue that's, that we're in the middle of. And, and Tony Evans, he has a whole book on this. I highly recommend it. It's called The Kingdom Agenda. And he is one of my favorite teachers. Um, dude, tried and true. The dude does not have a dumb thought. Everything He's he says so is brilliant. Like you just, someone randomly asks someone on the street, like, that's smart. Someone should write that down. That was He's good. so good. I, I, I honestly have been listening and studying and reading under Tony Evans for, uh, oh, I don't know, a long time. Since I was probably 14 or 15 years old in high school. And... Um, I just love his thought on this kingdom mindset, and it's because it's true. And the idea that the church, the church, the body of believers, is heaven's embassy. It, it allows for the kingdom to to come to earth, and for us to serve the least of these here on earth as representatives, as ambassadors, as delegates of heaven. There's just a lot of purpose in that, and a lot of meaning in that. Yeah. Well, what was amazing? Um, for, so in the I'm always looking for, you know me, I'm looking for good language, looking for a turn of phrase, or it's just how my brain works. And over the years, when we've talked about in a place uh, like Haiti, when we have a ch we plant a church there, that we're actually, I, and I've referred to it as an outpost for the kingdom. That was the language I've used in the past. Yeah. But it wasn't adequate, and it didn't feel, because an outpost, I mean, I've been to an outpost. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And it does not feel like home. It feels like, right. thank God for the outpost. Um, but in this context, the ambassador, uh, I mean, the embassy, because what Paul tells us, second Corinthians five, that you are ambassadors at five twenty. therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Mm. And so I've heard that passage over the years. And it's true when an ambassador in another country speaks, they are speaking as if they are 
the United States or the, whatever country. But what I had, the, the fullness of that idea that, that Evans has put together was that you and I are ambassadors, but we are in an embassy yeah. for it. It's not an outpost, man. This is heaven's property, heaven's soil That's right. right here, which is why I might add, when you go to a place where the gospel has never been proclaimed, and you plant a church, and uh, we will actually, in uh, countries like East Africa, don't even tell them that that's what the land is being purchased for. Yeah. Because if they knew it was a church, the local witch doctors and priests will like threaten to put a curse on the people selling it, and so they won't sell it. Wow. Uh, and then the next thing we do is we put a permanent structure on it, so they know that this is not going anywhere. We're mm. making a statement here. Yeah. But what happens when you start drilling wells and building schools and clinics and stuff, it's, it's an embassy for the kingdom of God on that place. You go outside of the property, and it, you know there's some weird stuff that goes on out there. We were the, first, the very first village we uh, ever planted a church in over there. I, we went door to door, more like opening to opening because there's no doors. <laughs> right. But I meet this dude, and, uh, and this dude thinks he's Jesus. Wow. And Jesus had uh, a few wives. Okay. Yeah, Jesus has been busy. Um, and by the way, he didn't look anything like any, even, no, no, no imagination of Jesus I've ever heard. Did this guy look like, you know, I mean, I've, we can say Jesus wasn't white, but he sure wasn't Ugandan either. <laughs> but, uh, but there's weird stuff going on in these villages. And, but when you plant a church and that's where we come together and, you know, Jesus shows up, the real one, not the, uh, the guy with three wives, but, and <laughs> demons start coming out of people. Yeah. Demons start manifesting. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. I, I just learned this. Uh, 25% of what Jesus talked about was about demons, about the devil, about the kingdom of darkness. Interesting. So for us to not talk about that at all, like we're literally taking away 25% of what Jesus yeah. focused on. Wow. Um, and the reason he focused on it was Jesus was building, you know, embassies from here. So when you start to see uh, a little village where Jesus is being proclaimed and a church is being planted, there's some demons that are like, Dad, gummit, we, we had this thing, man. We were minding our own business. And now y'all putting a flag here in the ground. So, you know, there's some screaming and there's some hollering and, uh, and then there's some peace uh, because the reason they get angry is they know they uh, have no authority and they know that oh, that's good. there is, um, they cannot, you know, demons have to flee. That is 100%, you know, the name of Jesus. And so there's nothing to be afraid of uh, in those situations at all, uh, especially if you're devoted to these four things, you know, because uh, you are full of spirit, your cardio, your whatever, you know, heart's right. But but then after that, uh, when you start building an, an embassy, because, you know, look, today in Uganda, again, um, several hundred people woke up today in just uh, just a handful of villages and ate today. Uh, it's nighttime, right. uh, the recording of this. Right. But they ate because a church here, uh, an embassy here, shipped goods from God's kingdom to their embassy and they distribute it to their people Beautiful. who are on God's property. You know, uh, it wasn't just Kirk Franklin. Uh, <laughs> That's who, good. Dude, true story, by the way. Uh, <laughs> in 2001, uh, I was talking with Anthony Jr. Yeah. Who, yeah. who, by the way, can sing. So Anthony Jr. Anthony Evans Tony Jr. Tony Evans' son. Yeah, he Anthony. just gotten out of truth. Yeah. Uh, and man, boy, can he can sing. sing. Uh, and I actually uh, was talking to him about management, and I have this rule of that I don't, I didn't manage or represent um, past, uh, kids of pastors of mega churches. Yeah, uh, n nothing, literally nothing against them. It's just that if if you sing on a Sunday morning in front of twenty thousand people, 
you're going to have a really hard time with hitting the coffee house circuit, you know, right. in the real world. So anyway, but I loved Anthony. And so we talked while I met, I met him. But what would happen, I'd be on the phone with Anthony. And uh, and in the back, it'd be at Tony's house. And I, I don't know if they were neighbors, but Kerr Franklin and oh, he were buddies. Yeah, yeah. So he'd be calling him Boo, like in the boo. background. And he didn't even remember. He, <laughs> I met, I, we booked Kirk at William Morris. He'd call me Boo. Uh, so I was like his Boo. Uh, but, but anyway, be like, like Kirk in the background, like, well, Kirk, why don't you manage him? You got all these opinions about this man. Why don't you manage the guy? You know, but, um, small world. Anyway, sorry. That's the God's property. That is, uh, that's the, that's the shape of my brain right now. Somehow we went from an embassy in Uganda and Africa (laughs) to Kirk Franklin and God's property. (laughs) Stomp, (laughs) stomp on my folks. Dude, first year, true story. When they booked them at all the festivals. Yeah. And it was it, it, Stomp had exploded, yeah, it was massive, massive, and so and William Morris represented uh, and and booked all these shows over the summer, and it wasn't uh, it was maybe about a month and a half out when uh, God's Property uh, they realized that they'd booked Kirk Franklin but not God's Property. Oh no! Like wait, what? They they're the same thing. We thought they're on the same record, but it, like all these festivals were disappointed when they had to cough up an extra twenty grand. Yeah, there was some confusion when that came for out. God's property. Yeah, so God's property cost them twenty grand. One of the things we talked about on Sunday <laughs> is how you know there's kind of a challenge or a problem when the church begins to look more like the culture than it does the kingdom, and how it needs to. We need to be reminded of that. That when as as we grow, as we yeah. have more influence, that 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 our church looks more like kingdom work than appeasing a culture. And that I think that's that's a challenge for a lot of churches across America. I think we've seen that. Well, the temptation, by the way, way too so there was no segue out of where I got us. Thank you for pulling us out of Darren's no problem. Uh, there's sometimes there's just not enough Adderall in the world. <laughs> but you are so right, because we there's this idea of how do we be culturally, quote unquote, culturally relevant. Oh, yes. Um so we can quote unquote win people. Yeah. And it sounds so good on paper, you know? And at the end of the day, we're talking about music styles and lights and sound and whatever, but we're not talking about the power of God. Yeah. Uh, we, we say that sometimes on Sunday that, you know, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke, not your good vibes. Uh, so we can vibe all day long, but that's not yeah. what's going to break the yoke. And the truth of the matter is, is if all we've really done and accomplished is make our church look like the culture, then what are we doing? Like, why, why would, if I'm in the culture and I'm just a, a secular humanist, whatever, and the church is literally looks exactly like what I have already. Ooh. Yeah. What would I, what am I doing? Well, you're chasing your tail because the culture changes, the culture changes by the, the season. Oh. So, I mean, if that's a, if that's a pursuit, yeah. if you're trying to maintain cultural status, like you're just chasing your tail, you're chasing the wind Yeah. versus the kingdom, which doesn't change. It stays the same. The truth is foundational. It's, it's forever. It's long lasting. And yeah. it's proven. So I would rather err on that side. Yeah. Than the other. Because you can have, the Holy Spirit can move under a banana tree in the Dominican, or he can move under our LED screen uh, on a Sunday here. Uh, the banana tree and the LED screen, neither one are important in the kingdom of God. Uh, but they're also not a sin in the kingdom of God. It's just, it comes back to the devotion piece, right? We Correct. want to be devoted to those four things and when we are then the lord you know it happened we we opened up for prayer two weeks ago you know and i was like gosh i wonder if anybody's even gonna 
you know, come down in front. We, we, and we weren't doing, like, we didn't have the keyboard playing, and I wasn't, like, hammering on people, you know, every hour, head by, head out, every eye closed, nothing. It was just, if you want somebody to pray with you, come. And you know what? People desperately wanted to be, someone to pray with them that day. Nowhere in the culture does that exist. And I have friends, uh, I know people in churches that will not do that on a Sunday because they don't want to, quote, weird anybody out. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe maybe some people weirded out that day. But that's literally not my problem. Right. Because what I know happened that day was that Jesus moved in the hearts of some people that would have walked in that day and walked out with whatever they needed still on their need list. Yeah. And so being devoted to prayer uh, opens up that opportunity uh, for that to happen. So, and that doesn't look like the culture. Uh, I mean, you know what doesn't look like the culture is literally sitting in a room full of people and examining your soul once a week. <laughs> right. Like nobody does that. If you, no. you know what I mean? Like you're not, I, I mow my lawn. You know what I'm not doing on the lawnmower is examining my soul. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but coming together, like we take that for granted, devoted to the word of God. Yeah. I'm looking at my life and saying, where do I need to change this thing? That's not cultural. That's Christian. That's yes. Christ. Yeah. And there's a gift in that, that the world, uh, you know, hey, they try to emulate it with TED Talks or whatever. But it's not the same. And for us to be able to have that as part of it, you know, it isn't going to look like the culture. You know, and I get it. Look, I mean, I was in the piano. Uh, the, 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 in fact, our old sanctuary, we put drums and stuff on the stage. Obviously, that stage was never, no one ever imagined that there would be a band. Yeah, the original stage built for this building. Yeah, 1987. No one was thinking, I'll bet there'll be a hot band in here someday. No choir loft. Yeah. So I get it that if, if I stumbled in, I've thought about that many times. When we wandered in here, the, the 14 voting members of Hillview Baptist Church who loved them some southern gospel music you know had i have reversed the roles sure and we showed up into a brand new church and there were 14 conduits and they showed up with a southern gospel band yeah i probably wouldn't have stuck around you know right uh hard to blame them uh but at the same time that's that's a style thing that's not a culture thing if you're not devoted to that the power of god can move in a southern gospel he can move in in rock and roll he can move in hip-hop and he can move with no music at all yes um and so for for us, I think that this last series, it, was, it felt like we were putting a flag in the ground, uh, for, even for ourselves. Yeah, it's more than just a teaching series, and I, and I shared that on Sunday. I, I just feel like this is a creed for us. This is this is foundational, um, that it will help us be reminded of kingdom work and that we are essential because there's essential work to be done. Like, there's a sense of urgency that I personally feel. Yeah. Um, in culture, like there's a sense of urgency, like <laughs> there's work to be done. There are so many people that are hurting and lost and looking for answers, which kind of leads into maybe where we're going with this next teaching series of what's true about you Yeah, and trying to get to the heart of the matter on, on several things. Yeah. We, what I love about where we are as a church right now is I'm not uh, I'm not out here trying to make this stuff up, and I'm not hanging out there on my own. And so we've been talking about doing the Book of Romans, and the you know question you know should we you know it's 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 it's, it's a deep book you know there's been entire libraries devoted to it you know, but what we really landed on was the idea that hey we we talked about the truth about God what's true about God. But man, Romans is like, hey, what's true about you? Uh, what's true about me? 
And that's that's what we're about to spend the next sixteen uh, weeks. <laughs> sixteen <laughs> weeks. Well, sixteen chapters. It's one chapter a week. You know. Well, the reason I think it's so important is because the culture is trying to answer all these questions right now. Yes. We're seeing it everywhere. Yes. We're seeing it in blogs and in podcasts and interviews on on TV and the news and everyone has an opinion about um, about what is true about man. Yes, and what you know, you can't even get out of Romans one before it even it refers to this uh, what, what it calls feudal thinking. Yeah, um, they gave themselves over or whatever, but it was because of our, their feudal thinking. And you've probably heard it before if you listen to a lot of uh, you know guys, uh, girls, whatever podcasts that are even very conservative people. They're going to get to the question about whether or not man is good or not, whether we are good. And they will do verbal gymnastics, yeah. Because if you don't have God in it, if you don't, if you, because I mean, the Bible doesn't make any pull any punches. The Bible's like, yeah, you can you can try to fix a system, but as long as there's somebody running it that's got sin in their heart, well, you're you're screwed. So, you know, whether it's critical race theory, uh, communism, socialism, capitalism, republicanism, whatever, as long as there's people with sin in there. So just to tear down the system is never going to do it. That's what the Bible calls feudal thinking. Is it because, is it because the secular world will not, does not accept the idea of sin? Some of it, they've moved the line. Some of it, so here's the thing. They'll say, uh, some of them will say, like they would, they'll, they'd speak in terms of good and evil instead of sin. You won't hear the word sin hardly. In fact, I don't think I've right. ever heard the word sin on like Rogan or... Tim Pool or any of those guys. Good and evil. Good and evil. Forces. Yeah. And, but they're constantly, their feudal thinking is good or evil, like people. So it's, they're not trying to categorize each of us. Uh, so, so I can never say his name right. Solsky, he's a, a Russian philosopher that said that uh, the, the, the line between good and evil does not go through groups of people or states or nations. It goes through each individual human heart. Wow. That's where the line of good and evil is. Yeah. And so inside of us is good and evil. And the question is, that's why they, that's why it's so freaking futile. Because if I'm trying to figure out whether I'm good or bad, and I've got a little bit of both in me, unless I can, someone can tell me. Uh, and it, without this, without and this is where Romans just it lays it out there and says that um, in in at the heart of who you are, uh, you are. And people they don't like the words like deprav total depravity, or are you born bad or good, or, you know. But the fact is, is whenever it started, wherever you want to draw the line, there is a line drawn. And at some point, we are all going to have to face the fact that I am a sinner, uh, that I have sinned, that I have. And there's no such thing as a victimless sin. There's no such thing as good sins and bad sins. There's just sin. And it all accomplishes the same thing, which is to wound and to injure and to separate us from God and from each other. And so when you eliminate that from the vocabulary, and if there is no God, then ultimately there's no sin, and then we don't know what the line is, and so that's why it's so futile, because you're going to keep, they'll literally be talking about this for millennia, and they'll never come to it if, they ha if you eliminate God from the conversation. It's just a, it's a prevalent thought. Like, secular humanism is being kind of touted, pushed. It feels like every turn right now um, on all of these, you know, kind of these talking heads yeah, because um, I think it feels like they're trying to figure out like what coming out of a pandemic when everyone's looking for someone to blame, where it becomes very political and, and lines have been drawn and sides have been chosen. Um, 
people are asking questions as to why are people landing on one side or the other. Yeah. And which is a great exercise of question, even like <laughs> I'm wondering that in the church, you know, there there's a there's a direct divide even in the church. Yeah. I I I think it's because we're oftentimes we're we're actually identifying the right problem. But it's the solution is where we end up breaking apart yeah. on it. So is there racism in America? Yes. There's racism in Uganda. There's racism in Pakistan because it's sin. There's sin in us. Yeah. And so what's the solution to that? You know, most progressive liberal uh, when it comes to critical theories would say, well, we have to build this category. And then if we can tear down that system, the activist churches, then we solve the problem. But they don't. They literally use the exact same sin to try to solve. It's why when, when it talks about you overcome evil with good, that's trying to overcome evil with evil. Right. With it. And so that's why Romans is so important. Like, I'm not just blowing sunlight up your dress. Like, this is an important time to understand some things that are in our world right now. Like, I, I, I truly believe when I hear a, uh, a, a, a godly man or woman talking about CRT, critical race theory specifically, they actually don't mean by that what it really means. Right. And I don't want to be intellectually arrogant and say they, they, they just don't know, they're stupid. Maybe they do. I don't know. I don't think they do because I know some of these people and I knew that if I would ask them these very specific questions, which we'll talk about in our series on Romans, that uh, they would say, oh, no, no, that's not what I'm saying at all with it. And so there's a little bit of we're actually fighting against each other in some areas that are like, actually, we're not even fighting the right fight, which is perfectly Satan thing to do to get us all confused. God is not the author of confusion. Um, and that's why we're going to start in Romans because, the, you know, look, the, Romans is about AD 57. So almost 25 years after Jesus's ascension, uh, 25 years after the book of uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 happened. And one thing is still the same, and that is that G the, the local church was still Jesus's plan to save the world. To Like that was still it. There was no plan B. And so he's writing this book to this church in Rome, which is full of culture, full of the exact same kind of culture we're in right now. And so when Paul writes these things, that, that, that's the thing about humanity. This is why the, the series on Joseph was so handy that every 80 years history repeats itself because we're humans. Humans repeat yourselves. It's just what happens. And so in this book of Romans, you're about one generation removed yeah. from the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we, I've never really done that. We should go like the prophet, the nomad, the artist. I wonder what would this would be the hero. This would be the, the nomad generation, actually. Um and, and things are going to get bad in Rome. I mean, 57 is right around the time a 16-year-old guy named Nero. I mean, look, my son is about to be 16. Wow, yeah. Let me tell you, the last thing you need to be doing with Ethan is put him in charge of the country. Can you imagine? You think the, I mean, the, <laughs> the cars that he's looking at he wants to buy, can you imagine we put him in charge? But I love my son. He's a great kid. But if he were like my boss, that's a bad, that's a bad scene, man. It's not gonna be and good. that was the story of Nero. That's Nero, yeah. Uh, and his, his story is crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, like, you know, anyway, his mom and murdering his mom. How old you know. do you think Paul was when he wrote Romans? Uh, if, if historians are right, and I, uh, this would be a great time to have something to Google, he would have been probably 60. Okay. He would have been uh, 25. It would have been 25 to 30 years into his ministry. Paul's entire ministry lasted 40 years, and he planted 13 churches. Wow. 
you know, uh, that was his quote unquote movement, church planning movement. Getting it done. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that's why you see the same names over and over again. But, you know, you read it's, it literally spans this entire uh, 40 years. But, yeah, so he's going to write this book to, to a city he's not even been at yet. Uh, he's heard about it. Aquila and Priscilla that you see in the book of Corinth and in Acts, they're from Rome. They were displaced because in the 30s and 40s, somewhere in there, all the Jews were kicked out. Maybe it was 45 or 50. Uh, but they, I think by now would have been back home. So when he says, I long to see you. It'd be like Rob and Amanda in Ohio. Man, I really want to see you guys. Miss you guys. I haven't seen you in forever. Uh, and imagine that without Facebook or text messaging or whatever. So he's writing some these chapter opens. Man, I really want to see you guys. And he lays down the law uh, of God and the law of Moses and, and just just lays it all out of how this is. Uh, this is and it's what I love about this book is it's like a theological chiropractic adjustment. It literally it hurts. But man, you feel really good after your back pops. And uh, you been you been to a chiropractor? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the shock of that when he hits the neck, like because it looks like on a movie when they're about to kill you, right? <laughs> and then you realize I'm not dead and I feel amazing. That's the Book of Romans. <laughs> like there, there's going to be some things in here that you're like it's going to hurt for a second, and then you're going to feel amazing as you let the truth sink in. Uh, and and that's what it's important uh, for us, to, I think, to revisit this at a time because uh, Paul's. Culture. We spent a lot of time in Romans actually at the beginning of the pandemic lockdowns because Paul was telling Christians how to react in a persecuted. So we were just in Romans uh, 13. Uh, which, it, which is why I love this about Paul is because he was persecuting. Yes. The flip of the script. And he was good at it. Yeah. yeah one of the things when I think back to my, uh, you know, they call it deconstruction now and it's really cool because you can do it on Twitter. Uh, but when I had like my f- faith crisis back in the nineties, Paul was actually one of the things that, you know, cause people, th- th- there's a target on Paul right now. Uh, he, he wasn't this or he wasn't that. And he wasn't, he never even met Jesus, whatever. But Paul was actually one of the things that actually w- was one of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 the links in the chain that, that, that brought me back to Jesus, which, okay, here's this guy. There was a historical figure that we all know was there who was 100% crushing it at killing Christians and then suddenly he's not only not killing Christians anymore, he is one of them. And that's pretty hard to explain without some sort of miraculous intervention. I don't think anything like that in history has ever happened before, yeah. ever. Yeah. So we have Essential Church, which, again, we've wrapped up um, technically on a Sunday. But this is going to permeate the culture of Conduit for years to come. Yeah. Which is why it's, it's really exciting. Um, to kind of have this essential church series available and for us to look back on again, kind of as a guardrails for us as we lead and move forward. Um, and then in the coming weeks, we're going to jump into what's true about you, this new series in the book of Romans. But over the next two weeks specifically, um, really excited because we have our mission Sunday, our annual mission Sunday takes place this weekend here at Conduit, and we have our really good friend, Pastor Jean Lefleur. Jean-Jean Lefleur. <laughs> Joining Jean-Jean from... Lefleur. May we invite uno croissage janvier? I got just enough Creole to get me in trouble. Uh, yes, yeah, so whenever you're uh, whenever you're listening to this, uh, we are recording on July 20-whatever. July 25th is Mission Sunday, 2021. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. We're actually giving Lefleur the microphone. 
This our, is a very risky little stunt I'm pulling. Our favorite Haitian pastor. Yeah, he's about to drop the Holy Ghost on Sunday. So that'll be this Sunday. And we have some other fun things happening that day and just really excited about that. And then the following week, do you want to talk about our guest speaker on August 1st? Yeah. Fouad Masri. Yeah. How about we just go like two weeks in a row with names that no one can pronounce? <laughs> uh, Fouad Masri is uh, from Lebanon and is a uh, Christian with a ministry that is very specific in the United States to equipping us with how to love and to reach our Muslim friends here in the United States. That's good. And uh, I don't know about your neighborhood, Mo, but my neighborhood uh, is full of Hindus and Muslims, uh, Christians as well. Um, we it, it, That's our country looks like that now. Right. And so... Uh, I know I've talked to f- of people in our church and like uh, next door neighbors, uh, a Muslim family. And how do we, what do we do with that? How do we yeah. love that? And so Fouad, uh, that's all his ministry is. And he is a hoot. He is, uh, he's, he just loves Jesus. And so he's going to be here yeah, on August 1st. Uh, and uh, I, I hope everybody, th- th- if you're in the area, if you're not, I hope you're tuning in because Fouad has got some great truth for us too, uh, for that alone. So, Yeah. Next couple of weeks are going to be going to be really fun, and uh, this week, even here at Conduit, each and every night, we have our vacation Bible school. A ton of kids are running all over the church building, uh, learning not only having fun, but they're learning about devotions. Yeah. And it's God is right. That's the whole yeah. theme. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is. It's like 150 kids plus are running around. And by this time, you know, on uh, whatever Friday, they're going to, they know who God is. Yes. Which is so powerful because it it goes back to the beginning, kind of how I opened up Sunday, even just by reminding us that today's devotion is tomorrow's blessing, that our devotion today is, it is, it serves us, but it, it serves the next generation and generations after that. Yeah. You said that. And I, uh, I I listened to it yesterday. I was out of town this weekend. Uh, but that the fact that maybe the next pastor of Conduit is actually sitting in there right now, because uh, I promise, whether it's Conduit or not, uh, there there are some young pastors and leaders in there. Yes, I mean, think about that. You and I and our little Sunday schools with you know sure. the flannel graphs, whatever. Nobody, yeah. I swear, nobody saw it coming with me. I promise, right, right. that we would be pastors today. So yeah, being those devotions. To, what do you say? Today's devotion is tomorrow's blessing. Blessing. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And it, and it came from the fact that yesterday's devotion of those that went before us here, um, even on this property, those those Hillview Baptist folks, their devotion back then have become the blessing for today. This property has been protected and, and able to be used as an outpost or as an embassy. Embassy. Yeah, that's my new word, man. Embassy of the kingdom. Embassies, bruh. <laughs> you need to tell I'm working out with my son. I, I've said the word bruh, like non-ironically, like three times this week. Like, like I try to say it ironically, but now I'm realizing like I, I go to drop off my rental car and I called the guy bruh. Uh-oh. I was like, oh my gosh, You're pushing I'm your limits, so man. sorry, dude. I am 50 years old. I apologize. I'm out of line. <laughs> well, we are so glad that you were able to join us for this week's uh, Deeper Podcast. Uh, we're excited for the things that are upcoming, and we'll keep you posted on all of those things. Obviously, you can keep track of all of the different things we've talked about, whether it's Vacation Bible School or um, our Mission Sunday and the things we kind of have in the mix for this next teaching series. You can find that at conduitchurch.com, as always, and you can join us here each week. 